keys, tackle box in my hand Gonna cast a few lines with my toes in the sand Pulling in a big catch makes me feel like a man But the wife, she just don't understand I love walleye, perch, trout and bass And if you don't like fishing, you can kiss my four-stroke right in the back Cause the fishes all tremble at the thought of me When I'm fishing for bunion country Well, as always, our season opener is with Henry Drews, the regional fisheries manager out of the Bemidji Regional Office, the Northwest Regional Office here. And Henry, as always, we love having you on the show. Thanks for taking the time today. Well, it's good to be back with you, Kevin. I wasn't sure this spring would ever come. (laughs) I think a lot of us were feeling that way. But it is here. I think we're going to be open by the opener. I don't think there's any doubt there. Yeah, I, th- I think we're in good shape. You know, ice out has been running three to seven days behind normal across northwest Minnesota. I think uh, ice will be out on our larger lakes, you know, by the first week of May. Um, you know, the one that might be a little nip and tuck with a few icebergs out there would be Lake of the Woods. So, um, by and large, we should be ice-free for the opener. Okay, sounds good. Um, certainly, as I've, you know, talked to people over the last couple of years and already some spring interviews, um, by and large, the vibe is pretty good. The, the fish numbers are healthy in most of our key waters. Um, I'm just hearing a lot of good things. Yeah, I think that's a good summary. I, I think the fish populations are in good shape. You know, we've got tremendous fish habitat and good water quality up here. Um, I think uh, I think the situation is very positive. Um, you know, we are dealing some. We'll talk later about invasive species. Something we got to watch and see what happens. But I think that the mood is pretty positive from from all the survey and assessment work that our staff do. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, the the big lakes in the northwest region, and I, I always think of the top five from Paul Bunyan Country, but the big ones region-wide, Lake of the Woods, Red, and Leech, and all three of those lakes are, are doing incredibly well right now. Yes, we've got we've got multiple strong year classes in all of our large lakes, and and I think um, you know fish from twelve to twenty four inches in all those lakes are fairly abundant. Nice distribution of size fish um you know it's just been humming along really well we've got some really strong year classes from 2011 and 2013 they're going to provide the you know the bulk of the large fish and those intermediate size fish and then we have you know some some modest year classes in uh, 14 15 16 and 17 you know that'll offer some smaller fish too but we're still seeing that gargantuan walleye year class from 2013 uh, just dominate the fisheries on our large lakes and even some of our stock lakes too and those fish this year going into the opener um, depending on the lake are going to be 14 to 20 inches in size okay Uh, just um uh, again really good uh, reports there but also you know bemidji cass um and and black duck and and even in the, you know the layer below that most waters seem to be doing well i know we're concerned with some uh, p- potential um winter kills this particular year but overall uh the lakes seem healthy yep they're very healthy and and the winter kill we do see more of it this year than a normal year uh typical year because we had such deep snow and and thick ice and and a persistent you know winter conditions but that 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 really affects none of our our primary or second tier walleye lakes you know that's more of the bass panfish lakes and and some that are fairly shallow anyway but the winter kill situation while you hear a little bit of in the news has really no impact on our walleye fisheries in northwest minnesota 
No, I, I mean those are those are definitely smaller lakes, shallow lakes, yeah. uh, a lot of bass, panfish type lakes that, that are most affected by winter kill. That's correct, and and they also are lakes that have some history of winter kill. And you know, when we have winter kill, it resets the clock. We can go in there and put some adult fish in, and those fisheries bounce back really fast. Okay. But uh, back to your point about the, the second and third tier walleye lakes, uh, the Bemidji's, Cass, the Plantagenets, and the Woman's, and the Boys, and the Inguadonas, and Fishhook, and that. That that next layer of lakes uh, down there, the, the three to 10,000 acre lakes, they're all doing very well right now, and, and I think they're going um, to be real good bets you know, heading into this fishing season. All right, so uh, there's a lot of more things I want to talk about, but let's just get to the uh, what do we the, the proverbial 500-pound uh, gorilla in the room. That is this continuing spread of AIS, particularly in our key lakes, zebra mussels. And you know, you look at it: Winnie, Leech, Cass, Bemidji, and now Red. Uh, five big waters that get lots of boats. It's hard to believe that this is a coincidence. Yeah, you know, it's boats. It's uh, water-related equipment. There, there's all sorts of things that could be vectors for spreading it around. And and some say, well, why do we need to be vigilant now? It's already in this many lakes. Well, it's still only in it, by the numbers, you know, a relatively small percentage of our lakes in the state. So we we do need to sustain our vigilance on clean, drain, dry, and 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 uh, checking all the equipment we have really well. And there's other invasive species that aren't here yet we don't want. So right. so we need to stay vigilant. In terms of the impacts, you know, that's a that's a work in progress. You know, we've not seen any any walleye fisheries up here that have had a dramatic change in the walleye population as a result of zebra mussels yet. Um, could the clear water change how people fish? I think that's a yes. We're seeing shifting of fishing pressure on Cass and and even Winnie more towards night fishing. We expect to see that in the next few years, even on leech, as zebra mussels become established. So, so we're it's changing how people fish probably more than the fish populations themselves. That's our early assessment. I know that uh, you know it's a lot. It's all theoretical at this point, but a lot of people saying. It won't have that much of an effect as far as when to fish on red just because of the way that water stays um, clouded up. It's more sand-based than than algae-based. Well, you know, I think that's probably a a good assessment. It'll it'll be a wait-and-see. Typically, once you find villagers in a lake, it's probably three to seven years before you have a real heavy population in there. So we're a ways down the road yet before we see what the impacts would be. But in general, you know, Red Lake, the color of Red Lake comes from the tannins, which is uh, the the color of the uh, the material from the bog. You know, it's a bog flowage, and the water source for the Red Lakes comes largely from flowage through the bogs. And those tannins can't be filtered out by zebra mussels. So that color will persist. And then you, it's so shallow, the lake mixes all the time. So you're going to have fine sediments in the water all the time. And zebra mussels also are not very effective at removing suspended sediments. So I think it's safe to say that we're not going to see a water clarity change, especially in the next, you know, five to seven years on Red Lake. Other impacts, you know, we're just going to have to wait and see. The upper basin is very shallow. It's got a lot of energy with the large, you know, width and length of the lake. 
a lot of wave energy pounding on the rocks along that drop-off all around the lake. Um, zebra mussels in general do not handle wave energy very well. And so that area, by getting constantly beat by the waves and then the ice formation in the winter and the ice going in and out, um, we may not see um, zebra mussel abundance in the shoreline areas around Red Lake like we do see in other waters. Much more to come with Henry Drews, and we put Dr. Andrew Hafes to work right away as well. Some people say fishing is overrated. For the record, they are wrong. This is Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. You're listening to Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. Welcome back. Continuing my conversation with Henry Drews, the Northwest Regional Fisheries Manager. You mentioned the the changing patterns of fish. You know, I mean, Cass Lake was always a low light fishery for walleyes. Anyway, now it's just more pronounced. It's even earlier in the morning or even later at night. Yeah, it's it's. You see the the axis is get really busy. Come about six to seven thirty eight p.m. You know, and that's when a lot of the real hardcore walleye fishermen are going out. You know, it's not that way early. The first two three weeks of the season, it fishes like everywhere else. You know, uh, typically shallow in the flowages and that. Um, and then, but as summer progresses, you start seeing people move out and and uh, largely they're doing a lot of trolling at night and and they're very effective those night anglers. Daytime, a lot of the folks as we've been talking to resorters around the lake, you know, are taking advantage of the really high-quality yellow perch fishery that's out there right now. So the resort guests are fishing with their families for perch during the day and doing very well, and then at night they're going out and getting serious about walleyes. And I'll certainly be talking with Nicole Kovar about some of this stuff down the road, but I'm assuming that you have taken a look to the east where um, zebra mussels have been longer to see what's happening over there. Any any trends you you've noticed? Nothing's nothing standing out. Um, you know, in the long term, and in really, zebra mussels have been on the scene in, in Minnesota for not that long ten fifteen years. In the long term, you know, we see that them they may have an effect on the productivity of the lakes and kind of lowering the overall productivity. But in terms of measuring direct impacts from that change on our walleye fisheries at this point, we just don't have the data to make any conclusive um, comments. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's take a look uh, again at, at some of the other things going on. Um, I know that um, we, we definitely have some great musky waters. Um, Leach has really had some tremendous years lately. I've been hearing great stuff from Cass, and I know we've got, we're loaded with monster fish in Bemidji. Yeah, the muskie populations, you know, our, our stocked lakes, uh, like Bemidji, Plantagenet, Little Wolf, and then on, on down into Walker Park Rapids, you know, they've gone through changes through time. Um, when they were um, only 10, 15 years into their, their stocking regime, when the species was first getting going in there, you know, we had high catch rates, uh, a lot of smaller fish, and, uh, you know, in the 40s, lower 40s, and um, lots of observations. As those stocked fisheries matured, we start to see populations, especially with the size regulations that are in place and the catch and release ethic. We see fewer numbers of fish, but larger individuals. You know, that's just that natural progression to a, a mature fishery. So we're trying to do some things um, with our stocking rates and that to try to 
even out that size distribution uh, somewhat. But at present, uh, those lakes we initiated stocking back in the 80s are pretty well known now for at this point in time for fewer fish, fewer musky encounters, but but very large individuals, numbers of you know fish from 48 to 53 inches. Yeah, so if that's what you're after, you know where to go. Yeah, and you know the natural lakes have a little bit different casts and, and leech and winnie and some of the natural lakes down by Walker. You see a more even size distribution in those natural lakes. You don't see those populations quite dominated by those larger larger individuals. So um, like on leech, it's more common than Bemidji to catch 30-inch fish, for example. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, and we uh, we have tremendous bass numbers and I don't know. It just uh, maybe it's the the growth of the college and now high school uh, fishing teams out there. But I am hearing more and more. I mean, I've always heard about it over on Leech and, and and the Park Rapids area. But I'm hearing more and more people talking bass fishing all over the Northwest region. Yeah, I think it is growing in popularity. And and if it's a if if targeting that species is a is a way to recruit more young young high school, middle school, or college age kids into fishing. Man, that's good news because we're seeing a you know a lower level of participation by youth today. So um, any any way any any way we can get youth in, whether it's tournaments or whether it's just family fishing, whatever uh, the park state park programs, I can fish, I can camp. The more we can get youth involved, the better for the future of our sport in Minnesota. Uh, undoubtedly, and and that is exciting, you know. When you when you you know was it uh, two years ago now already, or was it last year? I think it was two years ago now. Two years ago, yeah. we we had the uh, the college bass uh, masters championship here, and it was just so awesome to see all these guys, eighteen to twenty two years of age, just totally involved in fishing. It was you know it's, it was a good sign. Yes, it was, and and you know that's going on all over the country. Uh, you know, high school trap shooting is is the number one high school sport in the state of Minnesota now, and mm-hmm. and um, competitive fishing at the high school level is growing by leaps and bounds. So, so those those activities are hopefully bringing some new people in, and not just another venue for the kids that already do that. And so, any way we can get um, more youth outside and, and doing things in, out in nature, you know, are are good things, and and we as an agency try to really support and stand behind that. Okay. But again, the, the bass numbers in the Northwest are very, very strong, um, both uh, largemouth and seemingly growing smallmouth populations. And even lakes that you'd consider, you know, tremendous walleye fisheries are loaded with bass, the Lake of the Woods and Leech particularly. Yeah, most of the, the most of the really good bass fishing in Lake of the Woods is is um, takes place in Ontario. Right. Our waters are largely you know, walleye, but man, you get across the Canadian border up into the islands, and it's pretty special fishing for smallmouth. Leech, the smallmouth bass are definitely expanding. Um, uh, there, it's it's not yet regarded as a destination smallmouth fishery, but it is for largemouth, and the, the people that know how to target smallmouth on leech can do very well. We're also seeing expansion of smallmouth in the Turtle River chain. Um, those were put in there um, a number of years ago by, um, well, an unauthorized stocking, we'll just call it that, but okay. uh, into Beltrami, and, and they are spreading into Mobile and Big Turtle and Turtle River Lake now. And um, Some people may be concerned that the competition between smallmouth and walleye, but um, what what happens is is that the smallmouth are more aggressive and they can take over some of the fishing spots where 
the habitat like reefs where people normally catch walleye but direct consumption they they don't eat walleye so they're they're eating some common foods that one another eats but but they're not eating each other so much more to cover with Henry Drews, the Northwest Regional Fisheries Manager. We'll tackle that in the next show. But coming up next, we're already putting the aquatic biologist to work. We'll grill Dr. Andrew Hafes. Fishing, Paul Bunyan Country, where fishing is more important than, than, well, pretty much everything. Ask the aquatic since we are just finally getting into spring, we will uh, talk winter and winter kill with Dr. Andrew Haves. Andy, what causes winter kill, first of all, and how or can we help with it? So there's two main things. Uh, obviously, if the lake freezes all the way, <laughs> that's going to kill all the fish that are in it. But that is, in reality, that's the rarer of the two because a system like that usually... Uh, probably doesn't have fish in. If it's capable of freezing all the way, it probably didn't have fish in to start with. The other main way that it probably occurs is that dissolved oxygen levels are too low in the system. So what's using up all the oxygen, right? Oxygen's produced through photosynthesis, right? Mm-hmm. So during the summer months, it's never really an issue because you have all the algae, all the plants that are there producing dissolved oxygen that's in ample quantities for the fish, What happens during the winter is that, in particular, in years with a lot of snow, the snow blocks the light from getting through into the water where the plants and algae are, so photosynthesis is shut off. O2 production then is not happening, and DO levels go down because there are still organisms in the system that are respiring or using it, and then there's also decomposition occurring. So why doesn't this happen in all lakes? Uh, Lake Bemidji is deep enough where there's a good O2 reserve. And then additionally, a lot of the lake, during the summer, light cannot hit the bottom, so there's not aquatic plant growth. Right. Okay. So in a system that's smaller or in particular shallower, where plants can cover the whole bottom and there's this enormous production occurring throughout the summer, once the lights get shut off, there is all this biomass of plants in there to decompose and consume all that O2. So that's really it, is that photosynthesis, decomposition, and respiration are the main processes, and shallow lakes are extremely productive and don't have those huge O2 reservoirs there. And the years where you really see it happen is when there's big snowfall because the light got shut off and photosynthesis got shut off. Okay, so that, that is what tends to happen. Shallow lakes, and of course I knew that, uh, really didn't know the reasons why. Also tends to happen in lakes that do not have an inlet or an outlet, correct? Um, yeah, I'm not aware of that, but uh, possibly. I, I guess I, I, I was under the impression that uh, if there was a river flowing through, that seems to help? I could see how it would. Uh, you'd have fresh water sources coming in that still have O2 in, and there's uh, safe havens for the fish to go if they need it. Okay. So that's... Uh, Logical, I guess, but okay. yeah, you kind of caught me off guard with that one. Oh, I, yeah. <laughs> I never heard of that, but it makes sense. Okay. Um, it's also probable that I think that systems that have those inlets and outlets are probably a little larger. True. Uh, it could you, possibly, so maybe it's okay. a couple things going on there. Yeah, and I, and I, I know that snowfall is always something that is 
I hear a lot about when there's been, oh boy, I hope there's not winter kill. Right. And we'll find out. I mean, we don't even know yet on, on some lakes whether it has happened or not uh, right. this early in the season. Yeah, so all those lakes that are marginal, right, right on the cusp of doing it or not, there are probably a lot of years where they make it through and you can have a really good fish population developing and then, you bang, you get that big snowfall. Three feet of snow shuts the lights off and then that lake goes, right? Okay. So, I, I know that there are some <clears throat> um, lake associations in, in lakes that have that danger that have – they've got together and they've, they've bought equipment that can help with that? Sure. Aerators. Right. Right. Those are – they add oxygen to the water and provide those safe havens, right? Okay. There's some trade-offs. I mean, some risks. Then you have thin ice and things like that, and you really need to be careful with those as well. And uh, to do it on a large scale, I mean, let's just say Lake Bemidji or Red Lake was a winter kill lake. Imagine how many aerators you would oh. need, right? So there's some logistical constraints as well. Right. Uh, now, the other part of your question related to this topic was what could the public do? One of the largest things that drives this is production, right? Production, nutrients into a system drive up production. So you could, we could possibly turn a lake that is not susceptible to winter kill into one that is by adding excess phosphorus okay. into those systems, drive up the production you're ultimately driving up the decomposition that happens during the winter when the lights are out, right? And, and what is putting phosphorus? What would be something that adds phosphorus into a system? Uh, fertilizers on lawns. Okay. That's a big one. Mm-hmm. Uh, runoff from agriculture that's not properly managed um, with buffer strips or riparian zones around the rivers. Uh, not having waterways in agriculture fields grassed, right, or okay. vegetated, uh, loss of wetlands, all of those things that are that are sinks to our phosphorus inputs. Um, if we eliminate those, those are bad situations. And then uh, inappropriately adding excess fertilizer that's not being used or at, at the wrong times. If you add your lawn fertilizer right before a rainstorm and it doesn't have time to soak in and all runs into the lake and enough people do that, yeah. we could shift the productivity of that lake ecosystem to one where it's susceptible to a winter kill. Okay. I know that the DNR has been pushing hard, you know, to maintain an area in front of the water that's natural right. habitat. Does, does that help buffer right. the phosphorus sure. as well, even if you are doing? Yep. The riparian zones are around lakes and rivers are some of the most valuable habitats in ecosystems that there are because of those buffering capacities. And because of the habitat complexity that they add to our ecosystems, imagine those trees that then grow up large and then fall into the lake. It's essential fish habitat. But buffering and removing toxins and uh, the overland runoff, that's a, a big, big factor. All right. Talking winter kill with uh, sure. Dr. Andrew Haves to kick off Fish and Fall Blinding Country because uh, we, uh, we're, we're about to find out, I suppose, in the next several weeks. So a lot of those questions on... What happened will be answered. Right. It was quite a winter, wasn't it? It certainly <laughs> sure. was. Hey, Andy, thanks for your time today. We always appreciate it. Thank you. Fish hell!